Welcome to Rock Recovery with Jane Gordon. Join us as we talk with a star-studded lineup of rock musicians, performance artists, and the ones who love them as they share their unique and memorable journeys through addiction, redemption, and reawakening. Here, we explore true stories of addiction, healing, and recovery from the pantheon of rock music and beyond. And now, your host for Rock Recovery, Jane Gordon. Welcome to Rock Recovery. Thank you for joining us today. And as you probably know, uh, this podcast is dedicated to inspiring and bringing hope through the personal stories of many of rock and roll's greatest legends And as always, I dedicate all my shows to my beloved son, my personal rock star, Spencer, uh, who I lost to alcohol addiction at just 28 years old. This is why this show is here and so grateful to all the guests we have. Want to give a special shout out to my producer, Robin, tonight, who is always here for me whenever. And Dave Pratt, thank you for allowing me to be on this network. Um, I'm really excited about today's guests because I've met him in person as I have the others, but I've actually had the pleasure of meeting him um, through Alice Cooper and being inspired by his talent and his dedication to his profession. Um, He's truly renowned as a man of a thousand faces in rock. He has over three decades of experience as a master and rock star impersonation. I'm only talking about Bobby Jensen, who we also love and know as Rockstar Bob, great title, I always wanted to be Rockstar Jane, so maybe next time. Um, He has performed with many of your favorite and most renowned rock and roll heroes. Just people like Gene Simmons of Kiss, maybe Rob Halford of Judas Priest, and of course, our favorite Alice Cooper, and so, so many more. You know, Bobby has literally rocked millions of fans around the world, and he has proven nobody does it better. You know, Bobby was the lead singer for nearly 20 years with the amazing Hairball out of Minnesota, best known for their fully costumed theatrical performances across the nation, covering legendary rock bands such as Van Halen, ACDC, Motley Crue, Queen, Bon Jovi, Aerosmith, and of course, a man named Alice. Bobby is the only, and this is really critical here, uh, Alice Cooper impersonator with the blessings of Alice himself to do his show. That's incredible. The set props and costuming are designed and built by Alice's team. And yes, the snakes are real. Isn't that important? But perhaps I think what makes Bobby's story even more real is how he overcame uh, his own personal struggles, uh, his addictions, how he now pays it forward through his talent and his passion for his music and his rock and roll heroes. Bobby Jensen, you are a friend and a real rock star. Welcome to Rock Recovery. Hey, thanks. Glad to be here. So glad you're here. How's Minnesota today? <laughs> um, snowy, but we're seeing sun for the first time in six months. Right on. There you go. No, we get the sun. A bit <laughs> I know. Sun's always shining in my life. Oh, <laughs> there you are. You know. You and I have met. We met through uh, Alice Cooper. We met through uh, events, things that you've done for us, um, great work you've done for the charity. But I never really knew your background and your story beyond your musical career, and I know that it's powerful. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about your early days, how you got into music, 
and then how it led you down the road to where possible addiction came into play, whether it's alcohol or drugs or, and, and how that kind of derailed where you were going. Well, I was born in a nut house. So how's that to be an Alice Cooper? That's a great start. <laughs> <laughs> Show's yeah. over. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, that's all you need to know. All your questions have been answered. <laughs> uh, yeah, so grew up in Minneapolis in a, in a nice home. And uh, got to live my dreams. So it's been fun. It's been a good road. And uh, along the way, a lot of cool things have happened. Uh, got to do a lot of things. But the trappings of rock and roll catch up and you get caught up in yourself and the lifestyle, like everyone else probably talks about. The other people you've had on at some point, you get caught up in the trappings of rock and roll, and whether that's weed or alcohol or whatever. Weed was my drug of choice to start with. Mm -hmm. I uh, absolutely loved smoking a joint and turning my amp up to a, a hundred. <laughs> so it was always fun. I'm, I'm more of the artistic mind than the numbers mind. So it always got my creative juices going, I guess, you know, you smoke, you laugh, you have a good time, you're with your friends and it's a treat. But when it becomes something that you don't realize that you're doing all the time, then that's when you start to think, or at least I started to think, wait a minute, there's why, why am I rolling joints at five o'clock in the morning on my way to the gym? You know, do I really need this right now? And that's where you think some people are probably thinking, well, I don't know if pot's an addiction, but I think if you use anything to the point where you lose things in life, it's it's not good for you, whether you want to call it, whatever you want to call it, right? Well, that's so. amazing you say that, considering the state of our um, of our country now and, and other countries as well with the uh, marijuana legalization. Um, you know, and back then was it was it was it touted to you as this is a gateway drug? Because a lot of no. a lot of people in addiction don't believe that, and they still don't believe that. No, you know what was the gateway drug for me? was alcohol. If I wouldn't mm -hmm. have been drunk, I would have never smoked that joint. I would have never done that line and really? I would have never kissed that girl. <laughs> May I quote you I'm, on that? That's really great. Yeah, you know, when when I was just smoking weed, I kept to myself. I ate my potato chips and I would maybe do a painting or two. So mm -hmm. I never explored other things because I always thought that was enough. The... Uh -huh. The alcohol was the thing that said, no, let's, sure, you've got some acid, let's take it. That'll be fun. Mm -hmm. I probably would have thought more about it had I never done anything else. But when you try something and it's fun, you go to the carnival and you get on the tilt-a-whirl, that's a good time. Then you see the scrambler, you're going to get on that next. And look, there's a roller coaster. So that's kind of what it was like. You know, you, you're hanging out. For, for me to give you a little start, I, I was playing guitar bands, 12, 13 years old. And that's when, you know, you start learning about the other things. And you're coming of age. 
and hanging around other people in, in school, you think these people are cool because they're the cool kids, you know? And I was the ugly duckling and I thought, well, if I can play a guitar, maybe I can get chicks. <laughs> so you, I found out that when you do play guitar, you get chicks and that was pretty good. <laughs> Dream realized. <laughs> you mean to tell me that if I can hit an A chord, those buttons come off? Yeah, you know, it's like, all right, what else happens? And then people want to offer you things mm -hmm. and then you start to do them. And for me, I never felt peer pressure. I always felt like it was supposed to be part of the fun because I wanted to be a rock star. And I thought, after reading all the things in the magazines, this is this is what you do. It wasn't like, well, that's going to be weird or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. So I just figured, okay, well, when you're in a rock band, you get to smoke some weed, you get to drink some beer, some shots of whiskey, and uh, and have a little fun. I've never done meth or heroin. I always felt like that was across the river. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't going to do that. So I, I just didn't, I guess I was, my parents raised me to, to know right from wrong at a very young age. So every time I had that beer or stole that shot of whiskey or went to the party, I knew the outcomes before I went, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. What kind of trouble you're going to get into. So it wasn't like, well, I didn't know that didn't exist in my life because my parents wouldn't allow that. So they taught me right from wrong at a very young age. So I knew, but I was like, all right, well, we're in a rock band. Let's have a little fun. How old and were you at it, this time when you started smoking the weed and doing the drink? How old were you? I was 12. Okay. 13. So, yeah. So, and you were playing music at that young. Yeah. It was, it, you yeah. were, from what I hear, pretty much it, you were, you knew what you wanted to do. Yeah. You knew yeah. what you wanted to do. So you started experiencing this. Um, this trap, as you call it, the spider web, as we call it, uh, very young. Yeah. Very young. Yeah. Yeah. You're, yeah. That's young. You know, what's normal for the spider is chaos for the fly. Right. Right. So, and you know what? And it's that's the age that it's impacting greatly right now. Right. If you look at the right. statistics. You want to, and that's kind of when you're waking up as a child and really understanding the world. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it takes you, your first five years of life is hard to remember it's it's a blur you know what i mean mm -hmm. i mean think about it do you remember much when you were three mm -hmm. probably not you know you don't remember too many days you might remember a single event mm -hmm. but you know i remember saying i'm going to be a rock star when i grow up have that on tape <laughs> you have it on I tape I bet yeah on a cassette that's fabulous. And your parents, yeah. did your parents, because family is such an important part of it, as you've said. I love that you referenced the, um, the foundation that your parents laid for you. Um, I was fortunate to have the same thing. I felt that I did the same for my son, um, and yet here we are, right? So yep. what's, what's real important is... Um, you know, when did you like, when did the light bulb go off in your head that this, this isn't right? Cause you started at 12. What happened from there? Well, well I guess it, you could go even farther back because mm -hmm. I grew up, my parents were foster parents. Mm -hmm. I was adopted. 
when I was uh, two. Wow. Probably two years old. So yeah, I was brought to the house that I own right now when I was four days wow. old. You're living in your original home. Yeah, I own it. That's awesome. So, <laughs> you know, it starts there. Mm -hmm. And you grow up in a foster home. It's the best thing and the worst thing a child could grow up in. Because it's like raising a, a child in prison. So when I say the good things and the bad things, my parents were angels. They, they, uh, they were good. That's wonderful. So, you know, they... They did what they could to raise me. Well, they did a good job. <laughs> yeah. They clearly did a good job. You know? No. Well, look look at me. So, I mean, that's why I was just saying I, I felt I did everything. Yeah. yeah. They did everything yeah. they could, but you yeah. still get, yeah. they can't protect you from everything. No. So when you grow up and you're in a house full of a lot of people, at least for me, I was looking at, you know, the, the kids that came, some were bad apples. Some were here because their parents right. were bad. My mom was, I don't know, 15 years old when she gave birth to me at the institution. And I was put up for adoption from there. Mm -hmm. So they raised me as their own. I would, They adopted me and took the name. But I grew up with probably... I wouldn't think it's unrealistic to say well over 500 people have lived in this house. Wow. Throughout their, their 30 years of taking foster kids. Well, your parents are true angels. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And how wonderful that you're there in that yeah, house and that you, you know, own that house. That's a great story. Yeah, that's good and bad. I mean, these walls have a lot to say. Sure. Do <laughs> you feel that um, did your foster parents encourage your music? They encouraged me, but they weren't musical. But they encouraged what you were passionate about. They said I could do whatever I wanted in life as long as I had a job. So Good advice. I figured out how to make my dream my job. And, you know, like I said, when I was three, we had the tape recorder and the kids were going around mm -hmm. and, what are you going to do when you grow up? And I said, I'm going to sing and be a rock star. That's great. So you jump up to kindergarten and the kindergarten teacher is going around and she's like, Jenny, what are you going to be? And, and she's going to be a nurse and little Larry or whoever their name is, is he's going to be a firefighter. What are you going to do? I'm going to be a rock star. And I didn't say I want to be a rock star. I said, I'm going to be. There you go. And that's who called me Rockstar Bob for the first time. The teacher. Yeah, in kindergarten. And here you are. And it's great. Yeah. Do, do, do you feel that um, when you, I know when you had said that you started the smoking the weed and doing the couple shots, right? Because that's what band guys do. Right. Um, but do you also feel that, because when you think about people that get into those traps, there's a, underlying reason why 
that also help. Did you use it for numbing? And I'm just being speaking because no, my, my no, cause I, that was my son's thing. Okay, so no, it was to numb no, I, pain and depression. You just I, did it because it was a socially acceptable thing to do. I didn't do it consciously if I was doing it to numb myself. Right. I I didn't know what numbing myself was. Right, it's just part of what the I saw were the kids that would pay attention to me had weed and they were high and I mm-hmm. might have been five or six years old and I thought they were fun to hang out with because they were always funny and making me laugh and and supportive of me listening to Kiss and Alice Cooper albums. <laughs> so they would that's how I got it, you know. These kids would show up and they'd be, oh, he likes this. And they'd give me their records and you need to listen to this. And I listened to Kiss Alive too, lost my mind and knew that that's what I was going to do. I was probably six, seven years old. I was like, wow. You know, I, right. I listening to House of the Rising Sun and the Candyman song <laughs> when you're three tells you, hey, this, this is fun. And I would pretend that I was a DJ under the kitchen table and play my records. And uh, <laughs> I didn't even know what a DJ was, but I would spin the tunes, you know, and uh, listen to Bing Crosby. And I thought, mm. this this looks like the fun thing to do. But saw Kiss on their little Alive 2 album, Gatefold, and went, nah, I think I'm going to do this now. This is this has sold me. And then that that freaky guy, Alice Cooper with his snakes and whatever. And he's on TV, you know, you're mm-hmm. like, this looks like it's so much fun. I wasn't thinking I could go smoke a bunch of pot and have a good time. I didn't even know what that was. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what the reaction of girls were. I just knew that the music moved me right. and that's what I was going to do. It was in your soul. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, it's your calling. Yeah, it's funny. When I was in high school, I wasn't allowed to listen to Alice Cooper. No. Yeah, no, he was evil. (laughs) I was allowed to. I grew up in a very, very strong Christian family, and Alice Cooper was evil. And nobody was happier than my mother when she found out that Alice Cooper really was just, that was his show. And that he became a Christian, and he was very spiritual, whatever you want to say, and and it was her. And her response to me was, and God bless her now. Um, she's not with us anymore, but she said to me when when she found all this out, when I started working with him, she said, "Well, if Alice Cooper can be a Christian, then anybody could. If if Jesus can save him, he can save anybody." Yeah. <laughs> and it's pretty amazing because obviously you know his story, and yeah. how incredible his recovery was. But you, what, what's really impressive, though, is that you, um, you have a little, what I love about your story is that you continue to persevere this passion that you had as a young child, and you got rid of all that other stuff. So tell me how you went from realizing that the weed and the, and the shots and all of that were not like an, an element that needed to be part of what you were trying to do. When you, well, re- when you realize that this is, hey... You know, with Alice and a lot of the people I've interviewed and Rob Halford and Brian Head, well, all these guys, you know, they got deathly sick. I mean, they they were like, they knew it was life or death. Yeah. But that's I, not, I, but I it's not that way with a lot of people. And that's what's important about your story is it's not always life or death. Well, uh, it might have been in a different way. It was the correct. death financially because I'm too numb to know what 
I'm doing and what other people are doing with my money. Gotcha. Um, but, you know, throughout my career, if there was a chance to go play with somebody, you know, throughout life, I had these options. Well, there's a band looking for somebody and a friend is playing in a country band and they're, they need an acoustic guitar player and because they're going to go be on Jay Leno or something like that, but they don't smoke. You can't, can't do drugs and you can't drink. Mm-hmm. I always said, great. I, I, the weed was never like, well, I'm not going to do that if I can't smoke or drink. I was like, great, because that's where I need to get, mm-hmm. you know, I, I need to get to that next level of, I, I wanted to do records. I wanted to be a, a rock star. So what is it going to take? I don't care if I can't do drugs. You know, that's not the important thing here. So along the way, I would join those bands and uh, and be fine with it. I think what happened was when I started to be successful enough to not need a day job and was in the band only, and it goes from having a couple of drinks before the show. And drinking was never my drug of choice. I like to keep my motor skills. Right. But that doesn't mean I didn't participate in silliness, I'll call it, you know. <laughs> so somebody's got a line of cocaine. Let's try that. They they look like they're having fun. But I never did enough of it to where I stole my parents' TV. I never I never sold anything for it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was just, hey, if it's there, I, I did it. Uh I didn't think this is worth my career if I had one, which I, I didn't, I still don't think I do, but it, that, that wasn't the important thing. So what would happen kind of when we were doing the hairball stuff is there's nothing really to do all day while they're loading in and doing stuff. So you're hanging out with a couple of the guys in the band and you just, I, I would just start smoking my weed. I'd wake up, I'd roll a couple of joints. I'd go to the gym for three, four hours and I could focus on it. I wasn't the type of pothead that just smoked and sat on the couch. I'm, that's not my personality. I'm a thinker. I'm a mover and a shaker. Mm-hmm. So I never wanted anything to stop that. So I would build stuff, work on costumes. We were trying to make the band something. We were still working day jobs. And had no idea of where this could go. So when it started to get there, it turns into that celebration. Hey, look at where we're at tonight. Let's have a shot before we go on stage or something. And, and it kind of starts that way. And then the next thing you know, it's tomorrow. Let's, let's do a shot before we go on. And then it turns into me and one of the other guys drinking a whole bottle of Jaeger before we start the show. And polishing off half of another one during the show. Because for people who aren't familiar with what the show was, there's three singers in that group. So while someone is out singing, the other two are in back changing and just kind of standing around waiting to go back on. So what do you do? Take a couple one hits. Do a shot. Get back out there. And I remember looking at one of the guys and I said, it was near the end of the show. I said, look at this. We have killed this bottle of Jaeger, half of this one, 
you've had half of that bottle of Tito's. I don't know how much weed I've smoked. And the type of weed that I smoked, which was becoming a problem where I think it, it's a problem, is I was spending $12,000 a year just for me. I wasn't buying weed to sell. Mm-hmm. I, I was paying $1,000 a week for the stuff you can smell in Arizona from Minneapolis, (laughs) you know, and, and it was a good time. And, (sighs) you know, at least in the moment I'm thinking, and I I said, look at this, this is a problem. We should never have gotten through the first bottle without laying down on the ground and being passed out. And next thing you know, you look at it and go, we've been doing this for three years. We're 20 pounds heavier than we were. And, and I don't know where those years went. What happened? You know, you start mm-hmm. to spend your sober days and you're like, where did it go? Where's my money? And, and what, and what, what the hell has happened here? And that's what I noticed. And so, well, it's interesting, addictive. too, that you bring up that the financial aspect, which is a great topic because you're not paying attention to your money. I mean, how, no. many, how many times have we heard this with major stars? I mean, well, I didn't you know got, you were stealing all my money and my manners. And then I realize that's it can be you know, extreme when you're like a megastar around the world. But, but the fact that you recognize that, where'd my money go? Why am I gaining weight? Why are we not, you know, what what's going on with us? Why um, has, it's so relevant. Right. right. And, and you know, you're making bad negotiations mm-hmm. and bad deals because you're numb and not thinking. Mm-hmm. So people take advantage Absolutely. of you. And then you're upset with them taking advantage of you. So what do you do? Oh, you just go numb yourself mm-hmm. because you just don't want to deal with it at the moment. And then the next thing you know, you haven't dealt with it. Six months has gone by. You've forgotten to pay your taxes. Uh, you've hired the wrong accountant. It's It was a lot like the Joe Walsh song or, you know, the, mm-hmm. the Billy Joel or Ted Nugent behind the music. Some Where's my money gone? I trusted right. the wrong people with my money. And... And now I'm still living in the house I grew up in when I've had a couple million dollars passed through my hands and I don't have it. That's when I realized mm-hmm. I don't care what anyone says about weed. If I wouldn't have been high, this wouldn't have happened. Right. Because I'm a much more, I, my friends would say, you're kind of a dick when you don't smoke. And I'm like, well, <laughs> why? Because I call up. Because I call out the bullshit when things are wrong. Because I'm real, and you I'm know, pre- and I'm present. Right. My favorite Joe Walsh story um, when he got sober um, is he said they were he was on a show. Um, I, I saw a special. It was a Guitar Center special on HBO, and he, the interviewer was a Rolling Stone reporter, and he said. When did you, and this is a question I'll have for you, is when did you realize this is it? I got to stop all this. He said, I was in Los Angeles and I woke up on a plane in Paris and the, the, the flight attendant woke me up and he said, where am I? And she said, Paris. And he said, the day before I was in Los Angeles and I have no memory of getting on a plane and going to Paris. Yeah. And he said, 
I immediately thought to myself, what, what the hell am I doing? If yeah. I don't even know that I'm flying from LA to Paris, what, what do I not know about my money, my life, my friends, my, and that's what that he said. That was like his aha moment. Did yeah. you have one of those? Well, I, I think so. You know, in what I was explaining there, it's like, then I started to come around going, well, wait a minute. And this is wrong and this shouldn't be that way. And I take full responsibility for all the people who took advantage of me because it was my fault, right. you know, and maybe they don't think they took advantage of me, but I made, I agreed to bad deals, you know, let's just say that. So, and I, I never, I never stood up for what I thought was right until it was too late. And when you do that just with everything in life, it's like, well, what happened? I need to get this figured out. Um, when that happens, then the trouble kind of comes in where I want to quit, but I'd be walking around the house and I'd think I'm not going to smoke today. And then two or three joints later, I'm like, why did I smoke today? I wasn't going to do that. And so it was like a subconscious thing that I battled. I knew I didn't want to do it, but I was doing it. So if that makes any sense, it I'll send it six o'clock at night. I'm got my weed and I'm laughing. I'm throwing the ball for the dog and things are good. So, you know, I'd be like, God, you, you need to help me, mm. you know? Did you turn to that? Did you turn to spirituality and your and, and faith for that? A lot of people do different things. I know that um, a lot of people go to rehab. A lot of people go to recovery. Every and you and I spoke about this before. Everybody has a different thing that works, and I don't think it should be cookie cutter. That's my opinion. Yeah, I think it depends on the person. Um, of all the interviews I've done with all these different rock people, and everyone has a different thing that worked. You know, some of them still go to rehab, some don't. Some still have sponsors, some don't. Alice literally got out of rehab, never went to a meeting, never got a sponsor. He said, for me, uh, what worked for him was I had to go from one addiction to the other. And yeah. so he switched to golf. And, right. liter and literally, he went to golf, whereas people, Rob Halford, he said, no, I went to meetings regularly. I had to go be part of my group. That was important to me. And, yeah. and he's been sober over 40 years now. And he said, I still connect with that community because that's important to me. But I think it's important for people that are listening is it's not cookie cutter. Everything, no. Everything's going to work differently. So be encouraged that um, what's what. And so for you, when what was your success when you well, said you me, said to God, please help me, whatever it yeah. was, what happened? Well, you know, I always said that I've been spiritual since the day I was born. Mm -hmm. um, so I've always had God with me, you know. But what I did was kind of in a way what Alice did. I, I put myself in a position where I couldn't smoke. And so my dad, he raised us around guns and stuff like that. So I was, I was raised from a... a three or four generation gunsmith and firearms instructor. And I've always been into firearms and I, I carry, I've got my concealed carry and whatever. And I've always been into law enforcement. So, you know, the dogs, like you see. Mm -hmm. So I, I got into that 
And I knew that carrying a gun, you better not have any weed in you if you ever have to use that. Because you don't want the issue not being why you used it, but what you had inside you. Mm -hmm. You know, so I started training the dogs and uh, that was going to be my escape from it. And uh, I started training with a bunch of police canines and doing that. And uh, that that's kind of where I went. And I knew that if I'm around those guys, what are you going to do? Show up around a bunch of cops smelling like weed? <laughs> you know, that's probably not, not recommended. Good, you know? but, but they all knew where I came from and, you know, rock and roll and what I do. And then they don't. Judge. Hey, what's They're better therapy than rock and roll and dogs? Okay. Yeah. You know, and then I'm with you on it, that. It turned into. Have you ever thought about bounty hunting? This is what he had asked me. And I, I said, well, I've thought about it, but. I've never really like thought about it. And he said, you, you've got some abilities, you know, in law enforcement. Cause we were talking, I said, I'm, I'm almost too old to go to through cop school and be a cop. And I'm, I'm a rock star by trade. You know, that's my life. That's what I've been doing for 30 years. Um, but there's gotta be something else to do when I'm not doing that to keep me busy during the week. So he hooked me up with a guy who's a local bounty hunter, and we went out and started catching felons. Look at so you. So my focus, my focus was on now trying to help other people get their lives together while I was also, in a way, getting mine together. That's amazing. So, America's I, most wanted. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. amazing. It, it, and we went after, you know, the murderers, the rapists. We went after the scariest people on the planet. So, and this also simultaneously helped you, if you will, wean yourself off of weed and everything. We, because you we, knew we, you could not do that anymore. Wean me off of everything because I wasn't going to have alcohol in my system right, and be carrying right. a pistol. See, and there's a therapy was, that's amazing. I, I wasn't going to do that. So, you know, you could say guns also save lives it saved my life maybe right we don't know what right. if i wouldn't have never done that and all of a sudden i'm still out with the band on tour and a different drug got me and kills me you know but so you played with and, and you have just a laundry list of great people you perform with you played with gene simmons yeah. Always sober. The whole, the, uh, always the whole sober. band of kids. Right. Always Paul sober. Stanley, right. Yeah. And always sober. And uh, yeah. which I think is amazing. Um, secondly, um, Rob Halford, Alice, of course. Yeah. Did you glean anything from their sobriety? Did you, or was that just, you played with them, it was cool, but did, did their, because obviously they've all been sober over 35, 40 years. Yeah. So when well, you when you perform with them, they were obviously sober because Gene right. was always sober, correct? Yeah, correct. And I have had experiences with Gene since 1992 right. when yeah, I was in Kiss, Kiss mm -hmm. tribute bands. Yeah, with doing stuff with the Kiss conventions and things like that. So we were around them, and and I always knew his story. He's he's never been not silent about his non-doing drugs. Mm -hmm. So I never wanted to do them. I, I never wanted to 
do that stuff. I, if I could go back in time, I would never smoke that joint. I would be straight and do it. I think it would be a different outcome. But I didn't, and here's where I'm at. Now your trials make played, you stronger, though, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it is what it is. I'm not going to say I didn't have a good time. So, you know, I, I did what I did. I wouldn't recommend it. Stay in school, kid. You know, mm-hmm. but yeah. Did you learn anything? I was going to say, did you learn anything specific for from any or each of them that you that you think was important? No, I don't know if I learned it, but I drew from it in a mm-hmm. way that if they can do it, I can do it, and I knew I could do it. And just knowing that, you know, Alice is out there, and he he's been a sober Alice since 80, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, who, who better to learn from, you know, cause if you look at his story, he actually has a story to tell mine. Mine is good. You know, I've had God and the angels telling me I was going to be a rock star since I was three years old and they gave it to me. And but, you're performing, um, with your rock show now. I know yeah. hairball was what, 20 years for you. Uh, very very successful. Me. You played um, our benefit in Phoenix back at Comerica Theater. Local plug yep. there, which is now Arizona Federal. Local plug there. Um, yeah. You played uh, there, I remember, and I think you were ACDC that night. Uh, yeah. That was <laughs> yeah. the. That's that, when I first met weekend, you. That whole weekend was the greatest moment <laughs> in life. Well, that was a great show. That you was know, like Vince Neil and Rob Zombie and everybody came out for that show. And, and that's the first time I saw you. Hairball was amazing. Yeah. Um, and I know well, they're still going this. strong. Think about this. In my life, going through school, saying, I'm going to be a rock star. I'm going to be in Kiss. I'm going to be in these bands. And, and everybody going, yeah, whatever. You know, <laughs> especially teachers. But a lot of kids knew it. I think everybody knew it. But your one um, teacher knew it. Because she named you. Know, you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right? Mm-hmm. So I'd be like, I'm going to be in those bands or whatever. But if if I would have ever said all of those people, yes, the whole band, Paul, Gene, Eric, Tommy, Vince Neil, Joan Jett, right. Rob Zombie, Tom Kiefer, Vince Neil, did I say that already? That's all right. Kip Winger. We think he was uh, there. <laughs> no. the, the, whole, the whole list is going to play in my band, I would have slapped me and yeah, said, you're an quite, idiot. That you was know, quite the cool. show. You know, who could pick that? And I have to so, mention, yeah, yeah, and then, and then your rock star band, which I mean, I know you're doing it now, Beyond Hairball. Yeah, rock show. Rock show, uh, which I love. What was And I want to mention that you um, went out and did a tour and a special show um, with uh, Almost Cooper, uh, which yep. is your fabulous um, Alice Cooper show. And as I mentioned in the open, only show endorsed by Alice Cooper. Um, what's great about that is that you donated that money back to Alice's teen center. And, yeah. you yep. know, I know we don't, I know you're not a man of patting yourself on the back, but I'm going to tell you something. Part of this show and what I try to want people to hear is how do you pay it forward? How do you pay forward yeah. what you've learned you know, Alice said on, on he was my first guest on this show, and he said, 
I feel if you've overcome addiction, any kind of these struggles of any kind, whether it's marijuana, meth, cocaine, whatever it is, um, it's your responsibility to pay it forward and to help other people. Help other people, whether it's through addiction recovery, whether it's helping teens, and you have done that. And I think that's That's awesome. And not only just the bounty hunting, but you actually have done charitable, charitable type concert tours. Well, when we did that show, that's when I was like, this is, you know, you go through life and you're wondering, how can I help? What can I do? Is it, is it the veterans thing? You know, how do I give Mm -hmm. back and thoughts like that? And, you know, some people like, well, you're in a foster home. You should try to help those kids Mm -hmm. and stuff. So I see Alice and he's doing this thing. It's like, I, I know those kids. I was one of them. Mm-hmm. You know, and if I would have had a place like that as a kid, I would have lost my mind and I would have been there every day after school doing that. And that's when I said, I I have to somehow get to the point where I can be part of that. And that was in 2013. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, it's been that long. Isn't that? Something? Yeah. And I, I rode the elevator down with Alice and I, I didn't know him at the time. And I, I, I couldn't even speak. You know, I was like, if I could tell you my life in this short two-floor ride and how. How much he impacted you. Yes. Like, wow. That's really, really. You, you can tell, right? That it's, this is it. This is this is it. This is how this is how I can help. So that's when I was like, that that's great. Now I don't know how to help. And the funny thing is how almost Cooper came about where there's a few friends of mine who were saying, You should do an Alice show. And this went on for a couple of years. And I would say, No, I'm I'm not doing Alice because you you can't do an Alice show and move the popcorn machine and in a little bar and grill and try to do an Alice show. You have to do the Alice show or I'm not doing it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like I was doing the Kiss tribute bands and we could go into a bar and, and dress up like the four guys and do that. But you, if you're going to be Alice, you can't show up with a bunch of spirit Halloween stuff <laughs> and go, hey, look, you know. And, and to me, it was like it was too important to do it right. And so I always said no, and <laughs> the spirit. <always> yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm. You know what I mean. So one of the guys one morning says, "Hey, you should do this." And this went on for a long time, like years, a couple, couple three years. And I, I said, "No, I'm not going to do that." And I, I said, "I know how to end this right now." And I got a hold of Cheryl, and I'm like. Can you ask Alice if it would be okay if I had a guillotine made and a Franken Alice right. made by made by distortions and did your show thinking this is going to help me totally stop this nonsense and I can go. They said no. Right? She got back to me and 15 minutes later and said, Alice says, of course. There you go. And I looked at God and I went, <laughs> I yelled, no, <laughs> <laughs> the man so, himself. Yeah. Uh, I thought for sure they were going to say no. And I was going to end that conversation and never have to have it again. 
because then I could say, well, they said no, and I'm not doing it without, because you know, you saw hairball. It's like, oh yeah, we try to do things to a certain level and I wasn't going to do it sea level, you know, not sea level like the ocean. I wanted yeah. to do it a room theater, right? concert stage. I wanted to do his exact show. It's a theatrical performance. From the, yeah. yeah it's and, not just and a when concert. They said, when they said yes, then I said, all right, well, I guess God has plans for us and we're going to do it. And that's when I said, and then you, you know, bless them. I, I said, thank you for letting us do this. And because you're allowing us to do this, we're going to donate the all the extra money that we make to Solid Rock Teen Center so that we're going to make what we need to just live and go do the gig. But everything above and beyond goes to the kids at Solid Rock. That's such a so great all of our, circle All story. of our merchandise, we didn't keep anything for merchandise. All the merchandise money and everything like that went back to Alice. And then after a while... Solid Rock would give us stuff, and Alice would sign it and send it to us, and we would sell that at the show, and and uh, get it back. And that show's not done. I'm just doing rock show right now to get back out there and, and play because so many people yeah, tell have us where asked people yeah tell it. yeah tell us what 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 are you working on now and uh, performing and what type I know rock shows out there. What are you doing? Well, rock show is is like hairball in a way with the multiple costume changes but it's only one guy it's rockstar bob's rock show and i do all the characters right so we we just kind of do what i did and and alice my alice is part of that show we, frank and alice makes an appearance and uh and so your one wanna... show is multiple you do costume changes and everything it's not just a kiss show or just an alice right. show. it's a multiple i, I okay. start out I start out the show as either Paul Stanley or Gene Simmons in makeup because that's the only time I can get into that stuff. Right. It takes an hour to get into it. I can get out of it and into the next character in less than three minutes. Because. So the band kind of does a little Joe Satriani medley right. musical jam while I quickly get out. And then it's Guns N' Roses, goes into Cinderella, goes into motley crew goes into metallica goes into alice and wow. acdc and a couple other things and it's a two-hour show of great rock and roll that's amazing it, and and done by one man that's, that's, all that's what's even more amazing and so forget the man of a thousand faces we're the band of a thousand well, faces. my goodness we don't we don't need three singers to do this we only need one and we got him that's so fantastic so, those so, other bands might be good, but they don't have me. That's right. Amen to that. So just in summary, one of the things I want to talk about real quickly is just because you had such a great story growing up and everybody's growing up story is different and everybody can choose to make the right choices regardless of your upbringing. Whether you have loving parents, whether you don't. Like I said, with, with my my son, you know, he grew up in a very loving Christian family, and it's we still have these issues in the struggle, and we we didn't, uh, you know, we didn't know until it was too late. You know, you can't sit and figure out what would I have done differently, but what we can do now is try to help other people navigate through this. And so, for people that are listening and are hearing your story, um, 
what would you say to young people and especially kids motivated by music? Cause these are the kids that look up to people like you and Alice and Rob and Brian Ed Welsh and all these people. What would you say to them as far as making good decisions and as far as avoiding those traps that you fell into? Well, you're never going to always make the best decisions. So you can't beat yourself up over making a bad one. You just have to make the right one next. Do your best to make the right one. And, you know, God gave me this gift to get to this point, to talk to the kids who are listening right now and say, if I can do it, you can do it. Um, I believe that. And I think my story shows that is something bigger than me put me here for them to learn from if there's anything that they can learn from i don't know you know when i look at it from me i i think my story doesn't compare to these other people but it's still life and get out of the closet you know, you know what's great about your story some... what's great about your story so... though is you you may not think you're as big as these people but your your story is probably way more familiar for a lot of these kids. Yeah, maybe I was one because, of those kids yeah. that that hid in the closet when I was little because the other people were touching me inappropriately, you know, and that's part of growing up in a bad place, which my house wasn't a bad place, but unfortunately some bad things happened, right. you know, so you hide and you put on your records and try to escape, but you just have to realize that you're your, your best friend and, you know, fuck them. <laughs> Go be whatever you want to be in life and take no prisoners. And that's what I feel I've done. Every day I wonder, why am I doing this? I'm, I don't want to ever make somebody else a millionaire. And that's been my thing. And somewhere along the way, I got, you know, a little too high. <laughs> it's like that song because I got high. And, but you know what? If someone goes, that's ah, just weed, that's nothing. Well, say that to the $12,000 a year I spent on weed that I could have put towards something positive. Say that to the IRS that I owe tens of thousands of dollars to because I didn't pay my taxes on time. Why? Because I was high. I was stoned and not thinking about it. And who do you blame? You got to blame yourself. Take the responsibility. Put together a new rock band and take over the world, if not the universe. That's what I'd tell the kids today. There's nothing you can't do. Stop listening to the kids on Facebook. Don't fall into the traps of what other people think you should do. Do what you do. I can't think and of better I, advice know, than that. You know, who cares what they're doing? It, it's like, but nobody, myself included, you know, I never wanted to live by the rules. I'm not a rule follower. I'm in the rock and roll. <laughs> so I live, a, I live a different life than the person who wakes up and goes to their nine to five job. I've had a nine to five job in my life, but I've had more non nine to five jobs in my life because I chose to make myself a success I knew that life was too short and how lucky I was that I was alive. So 
unfortunately, yeah, you're going to make bad decisions. You're going to do a drug. Just whatever you do, don't cross the river and don't do the meth, the heroin, and the stuff that's made underneath the kitchen sink because that stuff will kill you. And it sure you has. Know? Wow. And it, it's, it's bad. And the alcohol, I think, where they say weed was the gateway drug, I'll go back to that and say, no way. Mm. Weed, weed never made me do a lot of the stupid stuff that alcohol did. And lucky for me, alcohol was never my drug of choice. I, I didn't like the way I felt mm-hmm. when I was drunk, but I liked the way I felt when I was smoking a little weed or mm-hmm. eating that cap of mushrooms. The mushrooms were fun, you know, but mm-hmm. you can't live there. So like a great place to visit, but get out <laughs> while you can, you know. Well, the artistic I have, that's amazing. guy in my mind says, ah, oh, those are fun. But the realistic person who says, you know, we do have responsibilities to ourselves. Whether you want to have a responsibility to pay your bills on time, you have a responsibility to yourself to be your best. So work out, eat right, stay off the dope. And become something, even if it's not world famous. Just become what you want to become. If it's a garbage man, be the best garbage man you can be. And that's it. I love trash. (laughs) (laughs) That was one of the first songs that inspired me to rock was Oscar the Grouch singing I Love Trash. trash. And and I always wanted to tell Alice he should do that song. He was on strange. Sesame Street, but I believe he yeah. sang with someone else. Well, he was on else. the Muppet Show. Oh, the Muppet Show. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. Well, I have to tell you. One, of the, <laughs> one <laughs> of the cool things I got to do in life was I worked for Sesame Street Live for a little while. Oh, fun. And I thought, and I did it because, you know, I was just a Sesame Street Were you Street Big kid. Bird? So, now, come on. No, <laughs> no, no. You know, the Count was my Oh, uh, I love the Count. Was my guy. But I, was, I wasn't the Count. I worked in the scene shop. And, uh, but every day you, you couldn't go to work mad when you saw Big Bird hanging by the rope in the rafters (laughs) or or Grover walking by. And, and I would just think, you know, Alice was on the Muppets uh, and I'm here. You're on the Muppets. You made it. (laughs) In in a way, I'm, I'm just as cool just because of somewhere down that wide family tree of, you know, coincidences he was on the muppets um building the muppets huh that's equal you know little little prizes that i'd give myself in my mind that that's pretty cool so no none of that's a coincidence my friend and you know that you know and you know bobby you have just been so inspiring and being so honest and forthcoming your courage you know we thank you for your your time your talent and just your testimony which will impact people because Everybody's testimony is different, and um, I can't thank you enough for sharing your story and being so forthcoming. And well, thank you because it's amazing. First time I ever had. There's going to be a lot of people listening to this going, "I didn't know." Well, you know so. what? That's what it's about, right? Yeah. And I appreciate you, and we can't wait to see you back out here. Hopefully, you're going to come soon, and and, and be, yeah. be with we be with the uh, family out here that loves you, that the Coopers and everybody else, the Solid Rock yeah. family. And uh, put on those mittens, and hopefully, I know the sun's always shining in your world, as you said from the beginning, there is no doubt. Yeah. And because of well, you, it, the sun a, is shining it, in a lot of other people's worlds, it's, too. It's been a couple of years clean. 
I don't I don't have a specific date of when I did my that's last all right. <laughs> whatever it was and and to me that's not important what's important mm-hmm. is that every day I think god it would be fun to take a big bong hit but I know what's going to happen if I do right so you know. I don't your his plan and was different for you and you know like, what no. what you're doing now is sharing you're turning, as they all say, it's cliche, but you're turning your mess, mess into a message and yeah. your, your test into a testimony. That's what I'm trying to do uh, through the loss of my son with this show. So I'm, well, I'm with you. Well, God put me to this level to be able to help somebody at some point. My job's not done for him. No, and it's not going to be done after this. And we are grateful. And on that note, I always well, close. thank you Oh, thank me. you, Bobby. And We'll have you back. And, and I, I always close my show uh, with a saying that has inspired me through my son's uh, journey, um, which I saw actually um, at a rehab center that he belonged to for a while. And there was a big sign on the wall, and I never forgot it. I actually took a picture of it, and it said, the pain you feel today is the strength you're going to feel tomorrow. We're not saying it's going to be easy, but we're saying it's going to be worth it. Amen, yeah. right? Bobby, you have a good evening. Peace out. Stay warm in Minnesota. Come visit us in sunny Arizona. I sure will. We are so grateful for you. you. All right, man. All right. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Rock Recovery with Jane Gordon. Join us here each week as we talk with a star-studded lineup of rock musicians, performance artists, and the ones who love them as they share their unique and memorable journeys through addiction. Join us again next week right here or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Mm.